Welcome in to another edition of Finding Freedom. Before we get rolling today, I want to quickly tell you about I Trust Capital. If you're someone who maybe has a you know an old 401k that you moved into an IRA somewhere when you left a job, you just have the money sitting there. What do you do with it? Try to invest in stocks, whatever other bull crap out there. What if you could invest that money in crypto? Invest it in physical gold and silver. Well, you can do that with iTrust Capital. But with iTrust Capital, you have the tax benefits of an IRA while trading in crypto assets. And on top of that, like I said, you can also have access to buying physical gold and silver into your account. It's it's amazing. If you sign up using promo code LIONS at iTrust Capital, you'll get the first month free. Now, iTrust Capital is safe and secure. Uh, They are backed by Coinbase Custody and Curve uh, to secure clients' digital assets. And they have $320 million of insurance to make sure your funds are safe and secure. On top of that, they are trusted. They have 1,300 reviews on Trustpilot And they are 100% transparent in their fees. Now, whether you're holding your assets long-term or you want to buy and sell with the market, iTrust Capital's IRA gives your account or provides the account the lowest transaction fees for buying Bitcoin or, or other digital currencies. As an iTrust client, you'll be able to log into your account, make trades 24-7, trades execute in real time, and settle in seconds. Um, They offer more cryptocurrencies than any other crypto IRA provider out there, and they're adding more all the time. Go to itrustcapital.com, use promo code LIONS for your first month free. We are born free, and we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. We'll get started. I want to welcome Martha Bueno to the show. And... You know, I, I know Martha from, from Twitter and her libertarian activism and, you know, following all that stuff. And I asked for her bio. I asked her to send her bio over. And I had no idea. This is, like, really cool. I had no idea, like, everything else you're involved in. I'm not going to read everything here, but it's it's impressive. Um, you've been involved in real estate for, for a very long time. Um, you're, you're a realtor, and you have got involved in investment properties in order to, to build wealth. And your entrepreneurial mindset since a very young age, at the age of 17, uh, Martha founded uh, Florida Genetics Center with her mother. This was followed by two successful um, e-tailers, VedAmerica.com and PureFormulas.com. And in 2011, Pure Formulas was ranked the 97th among the 500 fastest growing companies in the U.S., according to Inc. Magazine. Uh, today, Pure Formulas remains one of the leading online retailers in health supplements, and, and, retailers of health supplements and organic <laughs> products. So that's, I mean, that's cool. I mean, that's something I'm very interested in and into is entrepreneurship. And as a, I think the libertarian movement needs to shift that way. So Martha, welcome to Finding Freedom. Thank you so much for having me. Like I was saying earlier, it's such an honor to be here with you. Yeah, great to great to have you on the show finally. And, you know, I think since this is your first time, you know, as you know, we have three different shows here at Lions of Liberty, but your first time coming on any of them. So I got to give you the, you know, the, the, the intro Lions of Liberty treatment. We need to hear your, your journey to liberty, your, your journey to uh, becoming a, a libertarian. So let's start there. Break down how, how you ended up uh, embracing these ideas. Right. So um, I think I've told this story so many times. I was I voted for Bush the first time I could vote. Uh, back in 2000, I was, um, you know, 20 something, 21, 20. And I voted for him. And then we had 9-11. And I was like, wait a minute, this isn't what, you know, it wasn't so much 9-11. Obviously, I didn't, I didn't think it was Bush's fault. But then the aftermath, you know, I couldn't make sense of where we were going. Why, if um, the people on the planes were Saudis, why we're going into Afghanistan, it just like the whole thing didn't make sense to me. And so I started my quest there. And um, my uncle, 
who came over one day and he's like, you sound like a libertarian. And you have to keep in mind, this was before the internet was, I mean, we had the internet, but the internet wasn't like today. Um, so I started my quest and I started, you know, looking, what is an, a libertarian? Is he insulting me? Like, what is this thing? And um, I found out that, yeah, I am a libertarian and I've been libertarian. I obviously I, I had small children at the time, so I wasn't very involved in the party. I had, you know, jobs and and things to do. So I wasn't that involved uh, with the party. In 2013, I got a divorce from my kid's dad. And all of a sudden I had a few days off a week. Um, you know, from being a mom 24-7 to being a mom part-time was tough. And I filled that space with um, libertarian activism. I wanted to help other people. I found uh, Gary Johnson in 2016. And I was like, this is my guy. Um, and I flew out to Albuquerque to, uh, you know, go to his uh, in inauguration party. Oh, I don't know. What, what do we call the party when you don't win, but you know that, you know, um, his election night party. Okay, and, wow, that's that's commitment. Wow. Yeah. Um, before then, I had attended a rally in Missouri um, to, you know, let Gary debate type of thing. That was a mm -hmm. coincidence. I just happened to be in the city. Nonetheless, um, you know, I just libertarianism spoke to me. I, I was a fan of John Stossel. I was a fan of um, at the time. I think it's still around the um, flat tax you know, Neil Bortz that was really big on flat tax. Mm -hmm. And I just kept like finding more and, and just falling in love with the ideology that nobody owns me. Nobody owns um, what I produce, you know, as an entrepreneur, especially I was making these huge payments to the IRS every year. But at the same time, we were struggling. We were struggling to make these payments. And the years that we had no real income, we still owed money to the IRS. And that was a real wake up call for me. Um, you know, just how is it possible? I work my tail off and the only person who really makes money, regardless of how I do, is my silent partner, the IRS. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, that a little over time in 2016, I found the Miami-Dade party and immediately became the vice chair, uh, became super good friends with everybody there. And it just became, um, you know, something that I love to do. I absolutely adore uh, the friends I've made in the Libertarian Party. Um, it's a great ideology. It's just, what's not to like? I, I, I just, it's great. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm interested to hear because I like, I always thought that the way, the way that I, you know, discovered the ideas of Liberty was through, was through Ron Paul back in his, uh, well, I guess his second campaign for president, his first Republican campaign for president in 2007, 2008, and I used to tell people, yeah, Ron Paul, you know, he, he's the one who woke me up to the ideas of liberty. But I think the more that I like reflect on it and I've, I've talked with uh, with Mark Clare about this, that it's it's probably I was I mean, those ideas, I mean, that was already at my core. Um, he just kind of, you know, after I heard him talking about it, I'm like, oh, oh, it's OK to think that like because you don't you don't hear that anywhere else in the uh, in the media. And I was curious from from your perspective coming um, you know, with, from a, a Cuban background, with is, is it both your parents who? Both my parents are Cuban, yeah. Are, are, are Cuban. So I'm curious about that dynamic and, and your upbringing um, coming from Cuba, from, from communism. Was that something that early on sort of, you know, it wasn't called, uh, you know, speaking about the, the ideas of liberty or principles of liberty, but was that just kind of... Uh, it was just kind of there growing up? Of course, it's been ingrained in me since as far back as I can, you know, I can think. It's the idea that this country is amazing. But, you know, it's more than just being Cuban because I'm Cuban, but my family didn't talk about these things so much. It was also the fact that I grew up, I spent um, 15 years of my life traveling back and forth uh, between the U.S. and Venezuela. But specifically, um, I spent six years of, uh, probably the more important years growing up from nine to 15 in Venezuela. And that's really where I learned, you know, the difference that America is versus other countries. So in Venezuela, um, you know, you have maids and you have all these things and people don't get um, the chance to move up in circles in Venezuela the way they can here in the U.S. So, so what, what brought you to, to, to Venezuela. What, what were you doing there? 
My dad started a company in Venezuela. He actually was one of the first people to commercially take the um, technology of embryo transfer and um, artificial insemination in cattle to Venezuela. My dad's been a farmer his whole life. Yeah. So um, my dad was there back when Venezuela was great. You know, he started a business there in the, um, I believe, early 70s. And so um, by the time I was born, my parents were just back and forth between Venezuela and the U.S. I was born in the U.S., but um, nine days after I was born, I was taken to Venezuela. So it's it's been a very long and close relationship with that country. Um, but I know Venezuela, the Venezuela from before socialism, the one that there that's there now. I I wouldn't recognize it. I um, I left in 1995 and never returned. Um, and it's you know absolutely horrific now. I hear from from people who've left much after I did, and it's absolutely horrific what happened. It's basically like Cuba, but it happened so much faster. In 20 years, they've completely devastated one of the richest countries in America, or the richest country mm-hmm. in America. It's 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 really incredible. I, I work for I work in oil and gas, and the company I work for used to have assets in Venezuela, and essentially the government came in, and you know either the employees you know swore allegiance to the government or or they had to get out. And my company, um, they were nice enough to employees that didn't want to do that and wanted to you know uh, immigrate to the United States. They they brought them brought them over, and a lot of Venezuelans still work. Uh, for the company, which which is pretty cool, but turning our attention to to Cuba because I know I mean you've been very involved um, with with helping the people there on the ground in Cuba recently. Can you talk about what you've been doing and uh, your activism there? Sure, um, I, I want to take full credit for this, but uh, not really. There's there's so much going on in Cuba right now that I think it's really important to talk about the people who are living in Cuba currently who are using their names to um, speak out about their government. And the reason that this is important is because it's illegal in Cuba to do so. And there are young men and women specifically, older too, but mostly it's the young kids who are putting their names on the line, who are saying, I want to change. And so um, how is it- Just to to clarify, because I think this is important. So when you say illegal- what type of risk are so if they were to get apprehended for doing that? What type of risk are they facing? Criminal? Oh, we're we're expecting them to get apprehended at any minute. So, for example, protesting peacefully, protesting, mm-hmm. which happened throughout the island on July 11th, um, people were were arrested. They we've seen people uh, being shot within their own homes. Uh, there are over 800 people that are missing. Um, there are hundreds in jail. I mean. In Cuba, it's illegal to speak out against your government. It's also illegal if you're a, a journalist, for example, if you're if you're a journalist that is independent, that doesn't work the state um, newspaper or the state um, TV, you it's legal. It's illegal to be an artist. It's in, illegal to speak out. I mean, uh, we're talking about a country that is completely repressed, right? Cuba, it's only 90 miles from our, our U.S. shores, but it's a world away in, in where they are. I I equate them to North Korea, except in 2018, they finally got cell phones. And so people are starting to see the reality. They've had, they've been brainwashed for the last 62 years and they grow up with this notion that they're the best country in the world. There's nothing better out there. Um, Which of course the elder, the older generation, they know that's not true. My parents age, um, they were able to leave Cuba when they were, you know, when they were younger and travel and whatnot. My, my mom has pictures of herself here in Miami Beach when she was a young girl. So they obviously knew the difference. But for the newer generation, they have no, they had no idea. They had no way of comparing. So you're living in Cuba and you're looking at, you know, empty shelves. They don't even have supermarkets the way we do, but let's just assume they did. You're looking at empty shelves and you're being told this is the best. There's nobody in the world that has a better system than this. And then they get they get cell phones and they are able to receive pictures of what our American supermarkets look like filled, you know, to the brim with all your choices. You know, you go into a supermarket in Cuba, if they have ketchup, you're going to get that one brand of ketchup, probably from the USSR, probably a little old, Mm, you know, not great. But in America, you have your choices. You have 50 different brands of ketchup that you can buy. So I think, you know, people started seeing the difference and they're just tired of living the way they are. So right now in Cuba, you have this entire group of young people specifically that are saying, we're done. We are fed up with the system. We don't want it anymore. They haven't had a choice in the matter. They've um, Cuba went from 
being a communist country to being a communist country. Like they had a, a dictator before, Batista, and then uh, Fidel Castro took over. Uh, he passed away. He moved on to it moved on to his brother Raul Castro. And now mm -hmm. that Raul has given that up, it's on to Diaz Canel. But basically, they haven't had an election. They haven't had the ability to choose. And I'm not saying to go to elections, that would be terrible. Um, but these kids, are they're asking for it. They're saying, you know what? We've had enough. On July 11th, they took to the streets. They started protesting. And um, there's another protest coming up. They had originally said November 20th. And then the Cuban government, those kids, the ones that wrote their names on a piece of paper saying, hey, Cuban government, we are going to peacefully protest on November 20th because it's our right. And they cited in the Constitution, the Cuban Constitution, where it was their right to protest. The Cuban government has now said on November 18th, 19th and 20th, we're going to do these um, exercises, these government exercises, military exercises. We're now naming November 20th this military, national military day, and everybody has to attend these rallies. So they're doing that in order to obviously try and overcome that, that mm -hmm. November 20th uh, march that people were doing. And now they've moved it to November 15th. So we're kind of just on this back and forth with the Cuban government. But essentially, all of this is illegal. All of the things that they're doing, it's illegal. The Cuban government says, you know, you can't have, for example, lobster. That's illegal too. So, lobster much is illegal. Yeah, on an island, which is Cuba, it's an it's an island. You can't go fishing, and unless you're the elite, you can't eat lobster. There's there's like a funny joke with uh, between Cubans about how they can't have uh, lobster. Not so funny when you translate it, but anyways, yes, on an island. Hmm. Eating lobster is illegal if you aren't of the elite class. Of course, if you're oh, that's yeah, that is crazy. I did never never heard that. So <laughs> what ultimately? I mean, the, the protesting. I mean, that, that it is remarkable to see young people standing up, putting putting their name, putting putting themselves on the line. I mean, there's no promises that uh, that it's going to bear any fruit. But at the end of the day, in a country like Cuba like you, you were kind of talking about before, like getting an election, it could just be another fraudulent election. It would so be. how do you actually flip things so you get a new system of, go of government in place? Oh boy, if I knew the answer to this, I think we'd already be there. Um, and that's the million dollar question. That's what people are asking themselves is how do we get from here to there? And you know, the incredible thing is what technology is giving us. Right now, um, pretty much every day, all day, there's Twitter spaces going on, which is, who knew Cubans favorite way of communicating online um, because it uses the least amount of bandwidth and they're able to talk longer there. So there's all these conversations happening on Twitter spaces where people are talking about what are we going to do? And the amazing thing for this little libertarian over here is to hear them saying they're rejecting the right, they're rejecting the left and they're going straight, you know, straight liberty, straight libertarian, straight, whatever you want to call it, but they are going for the jugular. And I think that if they manage it, um, it's going to be the probably freest country uh, that we know of if they manage to, you know, to do this thing. What is this thing? I don't know. Mm -hmm. They need to do, they need to take over their government. Um, you know, they there's need to have the power. I mean, in order to 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 give to to grant uh, the people liberty, they need to have the power. You know, and they don't have the guns, but they do have the masses. Cuba has 11 million people, and there's maybe 300,000 people in the Cuban government. So they do have the numbers. And that's, you know, I think that's going to come into play. Um, a lot of people are asking for the United States government to intervene. They've been asking the UN to intervene. Nothing's happened. And honestly, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think the United States is looking to get into another war, nor do I want them to. Um, and then I, the UN has been completely silent. There was a um, there was a hunger strike in front of the UN while they were in session um, and they didn't even, they came out one day and accepted the paperwork for that guy doing the hunger strike. He was there for 30 days, 30 plus days, lost a whole bunch of weight. You know, they didn't even bother to come out. So my, my money is definitely not on the UN doing anything for Cuba. Unfortunately, they could provide peacekeeping troops. They could do some, you know, some bare minimum things and they're just not going to. 
Yeah, it's got it's got a comment here. I'll put it up on the screen. Interesting comment. So it says the younger generation putting themselves. Unfortunately, we can't see who said this because Streamyard. You, know, you have to like register in order for your name to show up. But the young the, the younger generation putting themselves on the line in Cuba should preface every interview they can get with "I will probably be arrested or killed for saying this," but the people need to hear it. That's that's a really good point. I mean, put putting mm-hmm. up front the. The, the risk that they're taking just for just for speaking out. Um, and you know, I'm sure risk. there's I'm sure the there's old guard, not even you know necessarily associated with the government in Cuba, who just want the status quo to continue. You know, they've lived their life. They're, they they don't want. To, I'm not saying everyone who's who's old there, but want like this. But I'm sure I'm sure there is that that aspect who just there's a lot. Yeah. Upset <laughs> things. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean. Especially the people who who live well, right? So if you're part of the government, you live well. Why do you want the, Why do you want to rock the boat? Then you actually have to like go out and work. You actually have to fend for yourself. I mean, socialism, when you're used to it and it's working for you, why why bother? Why go into this system where now you have to do things for yourself? It's a scary thing. I mean, we see it in this country all the time. People don't want to take responsibility for themselves, and they just you know not that they just want it handed to them. Um, but it's it's a lot easier to, to to live life when you know that you have certain things already handled too, and you know it's it's human nature. I think, unfortunately, it's human nature. So, with your experience looking at Cuba and what's happened there, and the the effects of communism on a country, and you look at the United States right now, with you know some of the most draconian uh, measures we've ever seen be, being proposed with. Uh, you know, vaccine mandates and the government stepping in and, and telling private companies um, what they can do and, um, you know, how, how to run their business on an unprecedented level. Not that that hasn't been going on forever to, to some degree with the government, you know, obviously taxing businesses and regulating them. and um, But really reaching over into the, the core of the business and telling them, you know, which employees that they can employ and uh, reaching into their medical records. What what I mean I'm not even sure what I'm asking, but from someone who has has seen communism, um, it, does that just like you're like, what's your reaction to it? I mean, as an American, <laughs> forget about the communist part. As an American, it's it's really upsetting that we are forcing people to do anything. Um, you know, forcing anyone to put something into their body that they don't want to do. I'm just really impressed primarily with the left who just a few months ago, for, let alone a year ago, you know, were, were saying things like my body, my choice, I shouldn't be forced to do anything. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, no, we were just kidding. We mean on the things that we like on this vaccine, you totally should be, you know, vaccinated or get it and whatnot. Um, I know plenty of people and I think we have at least one person in common who definitely can't get vaccinated for one reason or another through medical reasons or, you know, um, they just can't. It's, there's there's reasons why you don't want to get vaccinated. I mean, I have a 21-year-old son and I'm constantly saying, hey, I don't think you should be vaccinated because I know young men who have gotten a myocarditis from, from this. So there's a big risk. I've had personally two heart surgeries. And so I am totally fearful of, um, sorry about that, totally fearful of something happening to my heart again. So yeah, I don't think we should be forcing people to get anything they don't want. And then of course, there's the history of being a Cuban and, you know, not belonging to yourself in Cuba. Um, If something's wrong with you medically, uh, the doctor doesn't have to tell you first, he can actually tell your family. And oftentimes they won't tell you. So for example, in Cuba, if you have cancer of some kind, um, they won't uh, tell you directly, they'll tell your family And then your family gets to choose if they're going to tell you or not. You don't belong to you. Your children don't belong to you. So this is looking a lot like that from a Cuban's perspective. But again, just as an American, I think it's absolutely horrific that we can't make this choice for ourselves, that they want to force us to do it. And by the way, I'm not anti-vax because I know I'm going to get labeled this. I know people are going to be, um, you know, saying something along those lines. Personally, my children are completely vaccinated except for this one. Um, I've been vaccinated with all my things, you know, like I'm not anti-vax. I just don't agree with the United States government forcing and then forcing businesses to choose uh, that telling them they have to fire people. 
before. Yeah, I'm, I'm not anti-vax either, but it's interesting that they've they've changed the definition of being anti-vax from being against vaccines to being against vaccines that are mandated by the government. It's they change that. It's they keep changing the de- the definitions of uh, of words. Um, you know, and even with this vaccine, I think probably it makes sense for certain demographics to get the vaccine. You know, if you're over 65, uh, you should probably get the vaccine. You're weighing, weighing your risk. You know, yeah. COVID is real. People do get it. People do die. Uh, but yep. generally, if you're young and healthy, it's uh, very low risk that you're going to get a, a bad COVID outcome. So, right. yeah. But, COVID you know, is definitely uh, real. It's ravaging Cuba as we speak, which is the reason for the charity that I put together, People for Cuba, was just that. COVID is absolutely real. I'm not denying COVID is a thing and it's killing people. And especially if you are, um, you know, if you're unfortunately overweight or if you have comorbidities, it's really bad for you. Mm-hmm. If that is your circumstance, I'm the first person telling you, I think you should probably get a vaccine. You should probably go do it. Um, my own mother, she's elderly. She lives here in my house. We all had COVID. She thankfully didn't get it. And then she went, she got the vaccine. I encouraged her to do so. I think that for some people, it makes absolute sense. It's just, again, the younger kids, you know, people who really, eh, it hasn't been studied. Again, my own my own children, um, until we know 10 years from now what it, what it does, I really wouldn't want them to get it. Yeah. It's my job to be their mom above all else. And if I don't know without a shadow of a doubt that something is good for them, I'm not going to encourage them to get it. Yeah, that's I don't know if you saw the recent interview with Joe Rogan and uh, Sanjay Gupta, which I'm still not all the way all the way through it yet. But yet Rogan just tore him apart. He did. I love Rogan. Cordial interview. But especially (laughs) I I really liked Rogan's point when they were talking about uh, vaccinating kids and Rogan's, you know, pointed out that. Um, you know, the way that Sanjay Gupta feels safe because he's vaccinated, this is the way I feel with, with my daughter. I have a, uh, a six-year-old daughter. I feel, I don't feel any angst or, you know, that, that she's going to get COVID and get very sick. Uh, she's, I, I just, I just don't see that. I don't see that being a, a thing so close to zero. I mean, it, 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 the probability of her having a, uh, a bad outcome is so is so close to zero that it's just not worth worrying about. If you're going to worry worry about that, you got to open up to worry about every other very remote possibility, worst case scenario that could happen, and then you turn into a crazy parent who's worrying about everything. I Man, so, I'm pretty sure I'm a crazy parent already, but yes, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> All but, four of my kids have gotten it, so I've been there, and this they got it before the vaccine was available to people of their age. I mean, it's only mm-hmm. been available what for a few months now, maybe two three months. We got it early at the beginning of the year before it was even available to people my age. So um, we didn't have a choice in the matter and we got it and we all made it out okay. As a matter of fact, my younger kids, you could barely even tell. I mean, Mm -hmm. they had no symptoms really. It lasted like a day for them. So I I was a little worse for the wear than them. But yeah, again, I think that I feel the way that Joe Rogan does about his kids. My kids already got it. If they get it again, pretty sure they'll make through. I just, I have a hard time making that decision for them when I don't see a need. Yeah. hundred um, percent. So the, uh, the charity you set up people for Cuba, uh, yes. tell us about that, how it works, how people can, people can help. Well, um, so that was with the help of People for Liberty. They've been amazing to me. Um, it's the organization that is uh, that Dr. Jorgensen is currently the president of, um, which is also an honor for me. I worked on Dr. Jorgensen's campaign, and to now be able to work with her in this, I think, is pretty awesome. Um, what I did, or what we're doing, is we set up a way to get medication from here in the U.S., to people directly into their hands in Cuba. Um, we're using any means le- that's legal, uh, all means that are legal to get things there. However, um, some medications that we're sending, eh, it's a little questionable whether it's legal for us to send them. Antibiotics, you need a prescription in the United States. So uh, we're especially sending antibiotics to Cuba because it's really what's mm-hmm. needed. Again, COVID is very, very, very real. Um, I've never denied that to be the case. And especially with Cuba, we have so many people that are um, facing consequences, pneumonia and things like that in Cuba. But then you think about people that 
forget COVID for a minute, people that just have every other, uh, you know, any other type of, of ailment, they haven't been able to get any medications either. There's a complete collapse of the medical system in Cuba. Um, a few months ago, they had the complete collapse of their uh, facilities that could make oxygen for their hospital. So they have hospitals with no oxygen. Doctors really don't want to work because they don't have protective gear. They, um, you know, there's really not a whole lot of food left in Cuba. People are really struggling. They're going through a massive inflation. Antibiotics in Cuba currently cost about 300 US dollars for a round of treatment. People in Cuba make $40 a month. So it's pretty much their entire year salary if they need it. And, um, you know, there wasn't much we could do at the beginning other than retweet SOS Cuba and, you know, all eyes on Cuba. And I became increasingly frustrated. I was like, there has to be something we can do. And um, I've gotten together with a group of people here in Miami. Uh, the guys at Proactivo Miami have been amazing. Um, they're working with, uh, so the movement started a little before the July 11th uh, date, but that was mm -hmm. with um, just artists, street artists in Cuba. There were Movimiento San Isidro, which was this really cool group of artists that got together. And so Proactivo was part of that group. And, um, you know, we've just been collecting medicine and sending it to Cuba. And we've been collecting money as well. Uh, we have a website. It's peopleforcuba.com, the number four instead of F-O-R. Uh, is, is, is it just medicine or is it like vitamins and things like that too? Or Vitamins and, and supplements as well. Mm -hmm. um, I just see the bigger need for, for general first aid. Um, vitamins, of course, are super important as well, but there's such a need. I mean, it's just we can only send so much at a time. And um, we've been using airlines that are going to Cuba and they have keep limiting our ability to send stuff over. So I'm very frustrated because we had all this stuff to send and then our price just keeps increasing. Iberia Airlines, which is who we were using for a while, um, we were originally started off with, uh, they allowed 10 bags of 70 pounds each. So that was 700 pounds of medicine. We're like, mm -hmm. yes, we're sending 700 pounds of medicine straight into Cuba. And then they cut our bags down to five. And now they've cut it down from 70 pounds to 50 pounds. So we're still spending that crazy amount of money to get things into Cuba and to get people through quarantine in Cuba before they can hand out the medicine. But our price just keeps, you know, skyrocketing on this. So yes, we need everything. Um, but primarily my big focus is on um, the prescription drugs that people absolutely need. I, we just found out this week that there may be a way for us to get some containers in through the Baptist Church in Cuba and here in the U.S. So we're super excited about that and we're looking to fill up containers. And in that, we can actually send food and we can send, you know, heavier things. So right now we're, we're you know, working pretty much every angle we can. But to me, the biggest push is the prescription medications, because honestly, um, Cubans are dying and they're dying from things that we could save them from. They're dying from just, you know, things that, I mean, antibiotics are so common here in the U.S. They're pretty much free here. And um, it's just sad to see a country on its knees the way Cuba is and that its government doesn't care. So d does the Cuban government, are they trying, do they try to stop this with, with, with you know, with, with bringing medicine into Cuba or are you having to go around them or is, are yes. they allowing it? How does that work? No. So the Cuban government, um, a few months back after the protests, actually, this came out immediately after the protests, they removed the, 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 the taxes and the prohibitions on bringing in medication before mm -hmm. you'd bring in medication and they'd charge you this huge tax. Um, they removed that and they said until December 31st, but then at the same time, they haven't given any landing permits to planes. So there are tons of people here in the U S that have said, Hey, we want to land our plane filled with medication in Cuba and they won't give landing permits. So they say one thing, but then when, you know, push comes to shove, they don't actually, do the things that they were doing. So actually they are blocking, although they're saying that they aren't. It's, you know, again, it's a, it's a dictatorship. People don't understand what it's like dealing with a dictatorship. Um, people said that they were going to go out and protest and they started a military trial on that same day. You know, they planned one. The, um, the uh, phone company said that they would be down on November 20th as well. Now they're going to be down on November 15th. So, you know, it's, it's very difficult to explain to Americans that are used to AT&T. And, you know, you have many companies. So if AT&T says that they're going to do regular maintenance on such and such date, well, you can always go over to Sprint or, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. 
I'm not here to promote anybody's business, but um, you know, you have options, but in Cuba, there's one telecommunication company and it belongs to the state. So you're stuck. There's, it's not like you can go to CVS and buy medicine. It's you're stuck. If the government won't provide it for you, where do you get it from? Yeah. I mean, see, it's the ultimate centralized power and that's all they care about is maintaining power. You know, they'll Absolutely. let their people starve. It's the same thing you see in, in North Korea. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's disgusting. It's it's incredible this day and age that this, this still happens. I think we're we're reaching a point, kind of as you talked about at the beginning, with Twitter and communications and with cryptocurrency, that we might just get to a point that people can just live sort of around these governments. Maybe these governments will still think they have control, but they won't. <laughs> they won't control much of anything. Which I think I think that's the ultimate path out of this, even in the United States. Absolutely. Um, one day we're just going to realize why are we still voting for people? They don't do anything at all. It's <laughs> <laughs> the libertarian dream. I mean, yeah. why not? I agree. I think that at some point we're just going to be like, we don't need you. I mean, mm -hmm. we've seen people fixing roads without the government. What's their excuse? Yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. we don't really need them. And that's my big push for Cuba is to get crypto. Um, they're already using it, but it's a very small percentage. It's about one to 2% of Cubans actually even know about crypto or, or have access to it. Um, it's my goal to see that number increased by a lot, by 100% if possible. I mean, 100% of the island, not by 100%, which would be right. you know, 4%. Um, I want to see everybody on crypto in Cuba because the Cuban government controls everything. And everything that we send from here to, to Cuba somehow benefits the Cuban government one way or the other. So it would be great to see, um, you know, Cubans being able to choose what currency to use, to not have to choose the Cuban government's currency, to be able to make these decisions for themselves and be free. Ultimately, I think what we all want is just freedom. And some places freedom is harder to come by. But as, you know, as somebody who's who's been around for a while, the United States is getting increasingly authoritarian and not in a good way. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's any good authoritarian, but definitely not. <laughs> well, I mean, there could be an authoritarian who was, you could have, you could have a King who was uh, basically just said, you know, do whatever you want. There's no taxes, but that's, it's probably not going to happen. Maybe it will. I don't know. I, I would vote for that King. If he was, if he was running for, I don't know. For king kingship. I don't know that I would though. I kind of don't want anyone ruling over me. Well, ultimately, no matter how wonderful they are, ultimately, someone ultimately, we're as human beings, there's always going to be a power structure. Um, you know, people say or libertarians say, you know, we need to we, we need to get rid of the government. We need to get the government out of our lives. The U.S. government could could fold tomorrow. The currency could crash. And the problem is still 90 percent or 95 percent of the population wants that government. So until uh, the majority of the people want to live on their own, want to thrive on their own, want to create their own businesses, create their own wealth, um, there's going to, just going to be another government formed. So it's really, it's more than anything, it's, it's, it's education and it's changing people's hearts and minds. And also, I think importantly, um, you know, going back to your bio and what you've done in, done in your past, you know, we've been talking about your political activism, but I think as important or, or maybe more important is uh, your background as an entrepreneur and building businesses and being involved in real estate. So I'm, I'm curious to get your perspective on, on that, on entrepreneurship. Do you think um, libertarians need to be more entrepreneurial? I think we already are. I mean, everybody should be more entrepreneurial. The real way to make wealth for yourself is to not have a nine to five job. You know, when you own a business, especially if it's an online business or something that creates money while you're not really, you know, doing the mm -hmm. thing, um, that's the best way to make it in this world. I mean, look at Jeff Bezos, right? And I'm obviously nowhere near Jeff Bezos, but um, that's the way to go. If you build something, you create something of value, that's to me, that's the quickest, easiest way to independent wealth. So yes, I think every libertarian um, that has that inclination should definitely go down that path. It's a hard road. And, you know, um, I'm on this side of it. Like I, I, I started some things and they worked out really well. Not everything I did, especially the first few were great. Um, I, there were some real terrible ones. I lost a lot of money along the way. 
Um, but, you know, I think that it is. It's great. And owning property, it, it's, again, the quickest way. It, whether you start a business or you own something, there's no better way to make money and, and have that wealth created and there for you in your time of need. Um, right now we see massive inflation in the United Okay, may not, maybe not massive, especially not compared to Venezuela, but we see inflation. We see a 5% inflation, you know, in a few months. That's something that the United States really hasn't gone through. In Venezuela, we have massive, massive inflation, um, oftentimes over 100% month to month, 50% month to month. I mean, it's these crazy numbers. And so when you own something like a business or like real estate, it's it's a lot easier to weather those storms. If you make money, if you you know have a nine to five, um, and then your money gets devalued, it's really hard to be able to pay your bills and to be able to live, um, mm-hmm. especially when the the your rate your your paycheck doesn't go up. So absolutely, anybody who wants to be an entrepreneur should go down that path. But buyer beware; it's a hard path to go as well. I mean, I think a lot of people see it as like this rosy thing that's always wonderful and it sucks. And sometimes it really sucks, especially when you have to fire people, um, when you lose money and your business is, is having a hard time, you know, you may lose it all. It's just, it's a great thing, but just, you know, <laughs> it's a great thing, but with a little, little caveat there of, uh, you're going to probably not sleep for a while. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not easy. And I've, I've had businesses fail as, as well. I, uh, Probably the the worst business I've had, which I did learn a lot from it. So I mean, you you always you always learn things. I learned Facebook marketing and, and it encouraged me to to try other businesses. But one one that I founded, this was back um, when Trump was was running before right when he started running. So make America great again. So I got the uh, the trademark for make liberty great again. I was like, this is going to be easy. I'll just make make Liberty Great Again merchandise and hats and set up a store. I'll make a ton of money. Not easy. Not easy. Uh, people, Republicans didn't want to buy it because they just wanted to buy Trump stuff. Libertarians didn't want to buy it because it sounded like Trump. I'm like, well, this didn't work out at all. I had this great idea and it uh, blew up in my face. But It may work. It still may work. I it mean, still I might work. Make Liberty Great Again is a thing that's like popular now. Yeah, you were just yeah, too ahead I'll, of your time. <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll try it again. Open the store back up, but uh, yeah, you were just ahead of your time. Why not? I think <laughs> now's when liberty is cool. And I don't know about you, but I really do think that the tide is starting to really shift in our favor. All of a sudden, everybody's a libertarian. I I, I agree. Um, it, well, I think I think people around certain policies. I think we have a great opportunity now to build coalitions with like-minded people against the, as Dave Smith says, against the COVID regime, you know, against those who, uh, you know, favor the lockdowns and the masking and the masking of school children and mandatory vaccines. Um, You know, there's a lot of people, not many on the left. Most of the left are in favor of all that stuff, which is, which is disgusting. But many people who, uh, you know, maybe they are Trump supporters or maybe they're, you know, typical conservatives or um, people that, that, we, that we can ally ourselves with to I think that the COVID re- regime, I think, is, is the biggest threat to our individual liberty, especially if they get in a, uh, a vaccine passport, a pharmaceutical tracking system, a biomedical tracking system in place. Th- that's going to be a nightmare that's it's going to change our lives forever. So. Um, I, I think, yeah, I, I think that's good. But I mean, you kind of look at, you look at what happened not to, you know, go all over the place here, but look at Afghanistan. I mean, there's those, those same people you might, we might ally ourselves with against the COVID regime might think we should be who are on the right might think we should still be in Afghanistan. So it's kind of, it's kind of muddy waters with, uh, with some of that stuff. It is absolutely. I mean, imagine thinking that we should still be invading another country. And you're right; those people are probably anti all of this stuff. But then we have to align ourselves with either the people who still want to be in wars that we shouldn't be in, or we should be aligning ourselves with people who think that it's okay to mask our two-year-olds. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think I think it's time for a lot of people to kind of realize that. Um, 
I, I don't know about you when, when, when I was a child and I was told stories of like, you know, Hitler and, and how people ended up in concentration camps. I was like, man, it's so good that we've evolved and we no longer are those type of people. And then COVID happened. And I'm like, so this is how it happened. Oh my God. I see exactly. it now. Yeah. Um, I Crazy. totally see these people that are like, you know, obviously during COVID we're calling them Karens, but yeah, there's a lot of I've had people on Twitter tell me they want me to die. It's like, whoa, this is <laughs> this is a I bit mean, much. Yeah. A bit much here. <laughs> because you won't get a vaccine, you should yeah. die. You know, I want you I care so much about you that I want you to get the vaccine, but if you don't get the vaccine, you should yeah. die. Like how does that even make sense? But yeah, I I just I think that people have forgotten the humanity you know, behind all of this, the whole reason that we're fighting for liberty or we were the greatest country, maybe we were never the greatest, but one of, um, I think it, okay, I have to take that back. We were the greatest country. We still are. We still can be. We've had our, our rough spots, especially with slavery and a few other issues, but we've been pretty good until Mm -hmm. now. And these people that really want to take our freedoms, it's just, it's frustrating because they they don't mind taking freedoms away while their guy is in power. But then the other guy takes over and then those same things are terrible. I was just looking at tweets from, you know, just over a year ago and it was the vaccines were evil. Evil if you were on the left. And now the left is like take your vaccine, you know, like don't don't be selfish, go take your vaccine. So it's funny how we have these shifts and it's not about the principles and it's not about your beliefs and it's not about freedom. It's about the person in power and what they're telling you. And that to me is just, how did we get here? Yeah. I, I don't get it. Of, a lot of people get their left and right, um, get their opinions assigned by the corporate media. And, you know, like you just said, you had people on the left who just a year ago were saying, I'm not taking Trump's rushed vaccine. I'll never take that. You had Kamala Harris, the you know the vice before she was vice president, saying, "Well, I'm I'm not going to take it if it's if it's Donald Trump's vaccine." Even Joe Biden was was vaccine hesitant before he won the election. So it's just so crazy how automatic it just it just flipped, and then he won it the election and, and it flipped the next day. And it's all just, of a sudden, it's not Trump's vaccine anymore. Yeah. It's you know this thing. And I mean, we were joking about it, but you know the horse uh, medicine that mm-hmm. Joe Rogan took. I mean. It's insane. Joe Rogan sold his podcast for $100 million. He has the top doctors, the top everything, Mm -hmm. and CNN saying he's taking a horse pill. No, CNN. I assure you, he has the money to pay for the human version of ivermectin, which has been sold throughout the world, you know, millions of doses, and Mm -hmm. is probably the reason why um, a lot of countries in Africa and um, several parts of India have not had the COVID outbreak that the rest of the world has had. They've been on, somebody's saying billions? Yeah, billions. Billions of doses of ivermectin have been sold and used in humans. And it's just, it's incredible how, you know, when it was Trump, it was like, oh, he's taking bleach. And now it's, you know, this horse medicine. It's, we've politicized everything so much to the point where here we are stuck at home, you know, and, and people are getting fired over, whether they decided to take a vaccine or not. And I find it funny if it wasn't so sad. Um, on the same subject, you know, the airline pilots that um, yeah. <laughs> that forced Southwest to cancel all these uh, flights, my husband's a pilot. I, this is something that's super near and dear to me. Uh, he doesn't want to get fired for not having a vaccine. And he flies for one of the only companies that isn't forcing it yet. And um, I've had people tell me that they should fire all of those pilots and bring in new people. And I'm wondering, do people not understand what it takes to be a pilot? And also, I kind of want my yeah, do, pilot. Do you want? Do you want the people flying your plane <laughs> who didn't get hired in the first place and right. only got the job because the other people wouldn't take a vaccine? Is that really who you want flying your plane? I mean, do you really want the guy that doesn't have enough flight hours? to be a commercial pilot, to now be a commercial pilot because the other guy didn't want to take a vaccine. Like, you know what? They're up in the cockpit. The door is closed. You don't have to deal with them at all. As a matter of fact, how often do you even see your pilot? You know, I fly all the time. I look in to see, if, you know, to see who it is and make sure that they, they look competent. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I'm looking for. All I'm saying is I, I look make for sure them. There's not a beer can like falling out. I'm like, okay, <laughs> it looks all right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but 
Yeah, you want the most competent person flying your plane. Who are these people that are like saying our pilot shouldn't be flying? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's, it's wild times. Um, So talked about your entrepreneurial background, talked about your activism. You're also running for office, right? Yes, yes, I am running for office. I don't know why I'm running for office. How are you juggling that as well? And tell us about that campaign. The truth or the um, glossed over version of everything's wonderful. Please vote. Only the truth on this podcast. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's tough work. I have a year to go. So um, I have not even gotten into the toughest parts. But it's, it's a rough go in a city like mine where um, most people who run. So I'm running for a commissioner of uh, Miami-Dade County. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the seventh largest county in the United States, and we have an annual budget of over $9 billion. The reason wow. I mentioned this is because obviously there's going to be a lot of people that would like to handle that budget. It, I yes. would be one of 13, by the way, so I would not alone be handling a $9 billion budget. But that's the reason why people really want this seat. And this seat pays $6,000 a year, not 60000 6,000, but people raise half a million dollars to a million dollars for this seat. And so it's- Wait, t- why do they even pay 6,000? Like what, what's the reason for that? Just, uh, is that like transportation to get to the meetings? Like I, I'm not, I, they also provide money for transportation. They provide okay. a cell phone. There's, there's some like perks, but it yeah. all doesn't add up to a, I mean, it's a full-time job and it doesn't add up to it. Right. I am going to be taking a severe pay cut because I won't- Um, You know, and I know everybody talks about it and it's another politician saying, oh, yeah, I'm different than the rest. But I've been an activist for a lot longer than I've been a politician. Mm -hmm. And um, I used to go and speak before these commissioners and pretty much beg them not to do the things that they're doing. And um, obviously nobody took me seriously. So I decided then and there I would run. And the reason I'm running and taking this paycheck paycheck loss this uh, pay loss was because I want to see things differently right now. And I know this isn't going to air live. So bear with me guys. Uh, Right now we have the chief of police of the city of Miami, which is different than County, but um, still relative same area being fired because he called um, the commissioners and, you know, the police department, pretty much the um, Cuban mafia. He's not necessarily wrong. (laughs) Um, our commissioners, the one whose seat I hope to replace, um, he's been in office since 1993 and they just keep getting reelected to different positions and back and forth. I mean, there's a lot of cronyism in this city. And so, um, why am I running? Because I want to see something different, but it's really a lot of work. Uh, Republicans and Democrats have an entire machine and, um, you know, as libertarians, we talk a lot about, you know, vote third party. And the reality now that I'm in this is they have these machines in place, which means that they automatically, um, the person who's running against me, we don't need to talk about him. He, I'm sure he's a lovely person, but I don't need to talk about him at all. Um, he, he, the day he announced or the month he announced immediately got $250,000 worth of donations. And that came from the Republican machine. And I know this because the Republicans had reached out to me first and asked if I would run as a Republican, they would give me $250,000. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And I turned them down because I asked them if I could talk about my issues, if I could talk about cannabis, uh, particularly that's my, you know, drug legalization, but particularly cannabis. Mm -hmm. And they said, absolutely not. So I turned him down and that's ridiculous. He filed to run. And within that same month, he got donations of $250,000. So they have this machine in place. We libertarians, we don't have that. We don't have that for our presidential candidates. We don't have that for our, um, you know, upper level governors. We don't have that for state reps, for uh, senators. We don't have that machine in place. And so when it trickles down to somebody like me running for county commission, it's not there. And we don't really have the support. We don't have people to go out and door knock. We don't have people. Mm -hmm. We don't even have a campaign in a box, which is something I've been saying quite a bit. We need to have. We need so that people can just have a a website, have their domain name purchased, have, you know, the basics, have a campaign plan. We are seriously lacking in all of these things. And that's the reason why, realistically, libertarians, we don't make it to office. It's because of that lacking of infrastructure. And that's really what I hope to see libertarians rally against. We don't, we do need people to run for office, of course, but we 
we really have a need for these things. Um, I've seen the Mises Caucus doing some amazing work and the Mises Caucus here in Florida is um, amazing. I mean, some real great guys. And, uh, and I'm hoping that, that, you know, their push is in that direction is to help grow the party in that direction, in the machinery. It seems that you, that they have it, you know, down to a science to me, they're, they're collecting money every month. They're, they're doing um, concerted efforts around the country. We need that. We really need that in the libertarian party. Instead of being this club of you're not libertarian enough. You know what? Does it even matter at the end of the day? We don't hold office. What does it matter if we get Mm -hmm. along or if we agree, or if you're more libertarian than I am, or I'm more libertarian than you, it doesn't matter. And until we start winning and until we have an infrastructure, I don't, I, I mean, I don't see why we're fighting. I really don't. And it's, it's stupid and it's silly. And, um, I, I don't know why we're, I mean, we kind of want to hurt ourselves. Well, I'm, I'm glad you said that. I mean, if we're not running to win, why are we running? And I think, you know, you're running for a position that I think libertarians should be targeting, uh, you know, a local, a local influence in your community where, where you can wield some power and actually change, change the landscape for people. And also, um, you have a background where you have the credibility. I think far too often we have, and this is, I'm not looking to criticize all libertarians who run for office here. I think there's some great libertarians out there who are doing good things. But I think the the, the former chair um, had this thing where we want, we want to run as many libertarians as possible. Let's get as many libertarians in the ballot as possible. I, personally, I think that's stupid. Um, if you're not running with... Uh, with a possibility of winning and a plan to win, I think you're wasting your time. I think you're wasting people's money. And as libertarians, we don't have much money or time. We don't have the resources. We can't staff campaigns. I think we're just shooting ourselves in the foot. And you're running, and we're running people in these races, spreading ourselves out. And you get people running who just aren't qualified. And it makes us look like a joke when you put them next to a very qualified person. Sure, that qualified Republican or Democrat. We might have nothing in common with them, and they, you know, they, their policy is terrible. But when an average voter looks at them, we look like a joke, and that's just the way it is. Um, someone and like it's yourself, no fault of our own. Yeah. I mean, for the candidate, I mean, the party yeah, yeah. itself could help us. We could have, you know, cards and and just things, resources at our fingertips that we don't. And I went to the Libertarian Party uh, candidate training, and. It was very wonderful information. You leave there and you don't have the things, you know, the cards, the, you know, you have to do it all yourself. And what comes first? Do you raise a whole bunch of money? Do you get a campaign manager? Like you can't hire a campaign manager if you don't have money. You can't fundraise until you have a campaign that looks like it could possibly win. You know, we're setting ourselves up for failure. And I agree with you. If you haven't accomplished something in your life, if you, you know, don't have a bank account that you can run and not work for however long until your camp until your campaign is over probably running isn't the thing for you and i have to say um it's tough it really is tough to to sustain yourself during you know uh, a run and i started in february and it's it's been a long time and i'm nowhere near where i want to be um thankfully i do have social media my social media has been growing by leaps and bounds and that is primarily where I am targeting people. I'm also doing the things offline that I think need to happen, but not enough. And again, door knocking is a big thing. I don't have a door knocking crew yet. Um, You know, there's just so much to do. You have to learn about the seat you're running for. You have to know your issues. You have to then be able to talk to people, um, do a lot of interviews. You know, there's just so much Mm -hmm. that one person alone can't do it. So I agree with you. Running candidates for the sake of running them, it's it's not good. And we run for big seats. We really do. We run for state Senate and, you know, we run for things that we have no business running for unless we've run for other seats. I'm already elected to an office, a very small one. Um, but I do have the title of honorable. They're the only people that call me honorable. Um, but I, you know, I ran for a seat that really, I didn't even have to run for nobody since the early nineties had ever run for it. It was just always appointed because nobody ran for it. And I did. And I obviously won it as the only person who uh, ran for it. Um, but that has given me, I am now the chair. I, I think doing that is smart. And that's in Pennsylvania, um, our Libertarian Party is very good at finding those seats and, and getting running for them and, and winning. 
And I think that's smart because you're not putting a lot of resources into it. It builds your resume. I, I think I just wanted to put that. I'm not talking out against, you know, not saying you should only run for offices where you can, you know, wield power and change things. I think it's good to have that on your resume, of course. But it's great. Run for dog catcher if you have to. And then mm-hmm. you have some credential. I've already been in government. I already know how to do these things. I know how to run meetings. I am currently the chair of this board. I started off in a, a seat, like I said, I barely had to run for it. And now, uh, three years into it, I'm the chair. And I hope that this gives people confidence to then be vote for me in a bigger office. So I, I, I you know, I, I won't take people's idea of don't run, absolutely run, but find those lower seats, work your way up, because it starts building your name recognition, and it starts um, helping the people see you, you know, doing these jobs and see that you're that they can vote for a libertarian and the world won't fall. You know, the sky won't fall because I, you know, I'm chairing the meeting. I think it's Mm -hmm. important. No, that's a, that's a, that's a great point. People need to see libertarians, you know, active in politics and not just as some, you know, sideshow third party that, uh, you know, just kind of just, just blocked out of things. So hundred percent agree with that. Um, Martha, this has been an awesome interview. I feel like we've talked about, so many different things. When I go back to it, it'll be like, oh, wow, I forgot we talked about that. But <laughs> So before I let you go, I need you to, to plug plug everything, your political campaign, um, your charities, your activism, and uh, I'll put everything on the show notes page so people can find all of it. Thank you so much. So um, my campaign website is not quite up yet. It will be there. It's just going to be MarthaBueno.com. I've been saying that for a while and it's still not perfect, but it will be and it will be up soon. Um, You can find me on all social media as Bueno for Miami. Um, For those that don't speak Spanish or very little, Bueno means good in Spanish. And so I'm using the double entendre there. So Bueno for Miami is my hashtag. It's where I am everywhere on, on social media. And then for- You do have a good name for a politician. I'll tell you that. It's, no, right? <laughs> I can't believe I changed my name when I got married. I, I changed it back, thankfully. Um, and then for the charity, which is really the most important thing to me, I'm running and that's important, but um, saving people's lives is way more important. Um, and you can find that up at people for the number four cuba.com. Um, we've been getting out a shipment once every two weeks. Uh, we're hoping to do way more often and way more, much, much, much more quantities. And I'm also going to, um, set up a rally for the 15th of November here in Miami. And I encourage anybody who wants to see freedom in Cuba and around the world to set up a protest for the 15th of November in your own part of the world. Um, why? Because I want the world's eyes to be on a place like Cuba. They want their freedom. They are begging for their freedom. They're fighting for their freedom and they can't get it because no government, nobody wants to help them and they don't know how to help themselves. So, you know, the, the little bit that we can do, either send them medicine, send them food and or um, pay attention to them. Let the world know what they're doing so that they do have our backs and so that they do know that people care outside of Cuba. So 15th of November here in Miami, I think we're going to end up doing it at the Mexican consulate um, because Mexico all of a sudden has decided that Venezuela and Cuba are great places and that they're going to be like them. Socialism is moving through Latin America. Mexico is embracing it. So the Mexican consulate is where I'm aiming to do our protest. But anyone everywhere you know, go for it. The 15th of November. Awesome. Any, uh, any, your businesses you want to plug or anything, anything else? Nope. I am, um, semi-retired. I'm, I'm, uh, back into a new business. I'll be launching soon enough, uh, doing hemp now. Um, but yeah, we're not there yet. So thank you, but (laughs) nope. All right. Fantastic. Martha, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Hope you guys enjoyed another great interview, another great conversation here on Finding Freedom. Today's episode brought to you by uh, the good people, Nate and Charlie at Good Morning Liberty and their five-day-per-week show where they dive into current events and uh, give you a, uh, a sane take, a nice filter on the on the news and political landscape uh, to help you to navigate uh, these turbulent times. Of course, you can subscribe to Good Morning Liberty 
wherever you get your podcasts. So do that today. And also brought to you by Tyler Colford, also known as Crypto Man. Uh, Tyler is a rapper. And uh, of course, you've probably heard his songs here on this show. Tyler's been a longtime supporter of us here at Lions of Liberty. And I want to uh, encourage you all to go and find his work on iHeartRadio, on Spotify, under Crypto Man, YouTube as well. Check him out, listen to his music, share his music. And thank you, Tyler, for the support. Guys, if you like what you're hearing here at Lions of Liberty, if you like these shows and uh, you don't want to miss them. I mean, like, I know, like, when I get into a podcast, there's only, there's a few podcasts that I, I don't miss an episode, but there's a lot more podcasts where I subscribe and I listen to most episodes. So, with Lines of Liberty, like a lot of podcasts, but especially Lines of Liberty, because of the nature of our shows, our variety show format, and we're always bringing on different guests, uh, different interesting characters. You want to subscribe because you don't want to miss a show. You might miss an episode with someone that you really wanted to hear. And because you're not checking the feed, it's not coming to your phone. Um, you're going to miss it when it's dropped. You're going to miss out being in on that initial conversation, uh, maybe happening in the Lions of Liberty forum, which you can find on Facebook, or maybe happening in our uh, Lions Pride, our private Facebook group, or maybe over on um, Locals, which you can join, uh, become a patron there. Uh, lionsofliberty.locals.com or if you're a, a Patreon fan uh, you can go to uh, patreon.com slash lionsofliberty and join up there you know we have a bunch of different levels you can join at get access to the show you can sponsor shows you can even produce shows at a certain level of course all the merchandise all that stuff you get that at certain levels too or if you just want to Buy our t-shirts. we got some great designs. Check them out. Lionsofliberty.store. Guys, it's been a great show. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I will see you all next week. In the meantime, remember to keep your head up and the fire is liberty burning. <laughs>